Welcome everyone to our podcast. My name is Victoria Lewis and I'm the CEO of Burn Dean. We're a workplace behavioural consultancy specialising in helping clients create kinder, fairer and more productive workplaces. It's International Women's Day, which is a really important day to celebrate. And this year's theme of breaking bias is one which is really close to my heart as I spend a great deal of time, my working time with people, helping them surface and navigate their biases. And when I say their biases, I mean our biases, don't I? I mean the fact that we'll all have different biases. It's just a question of how deep and how broad do they go? And I'm really delighted today to welcome Yasmin Sheikh, who has joined me for a conversation about breaking bias. Yasmin leads a consultancy called Diverse Matters that trains organisations to approach disability and health conditions with confidence. And plus, you've got a role as the vice chair of lawyers with the Disabilities Division of the Law Society. So you're pretty busy, Yasmin. I am pretty busy. I've also got a, a very active 20-month-old son. So life is extremely busy at the moment, yeah. Crikey. Well, look, thank you for giving up some valuable time today. I'm going to do the first thing and, and recognise that we've got a little bit of affinity bias in that we are both former lawyers who have jumped the divide into the diversity world. And we both run consultancies where we talk about diversity and all of us of course have lived experience when it comes to diversity and inclusion but I've asked you today to come and talk a little bit about your story and perhaps you could start just a little bit about before March 2008. Sure yeah and thank you for having me on the podcast it's an absolute pleasure to to be involved in this. So March 2008 before then and then I'll talk about after then because that's where my journey with diversity and inclusion really came to the fore. So before then, I was working as a personal injury lawyer at a big city law firm. I was 29 years old at the time, a very fit young woman, very active. I went to the gym probably four or five times a week, never smoked in my life, drank in moderation as lawyers do, really, you know, enjoying life, lived on my own. I was single at the time, living in a flat in Wimbledon and enjoying doing defendant personal injury work and really loved being with my colleagues. I found the work very stimulating, very active social life. I was a bit of a party girl as well, so enjoyed traveling and being with friends, a real extrovert, I'd say. And yeah, just enjoying life like an ordinary 29-year-old woman. Okay, so tell me what happened to this ordinary 29-year-old woman. Yes, yeah, so it was on the 18th of March 2008 when my life really took a turn completely out the blue. So I went to bed that night, very fit, young, healthy woman. And I was in bed and I remember within probably two or three hours, I couldn't move my legs at all. There was no warning, no accident, and I had no idea what was happening. It was a, a very frightening experience because I didn't understand what was happening to my body. I just couldn't get out of bed at all. As I said, I was living on my own. So I called my parents who lived 15 minutes away at the time, got to the hospital and the consultant did a lot of tests, blood tests, a lumbar puncture, an MRI scan. And he said, look, we've come to the conclusion that you've had a spinal stroke, which I'd never heard of, let alone a 29 year old woman who'd never been in hospital before without any issues, having had experienced this. So he said, you will have to use a wheelchair for the rest of your life. And I couldn't quite compute that. I just couldn't understand how 
if you didn't have an accident or ill health or anything like that, how that could happen to somebody. But I realised that, you know, once you start talking to people and enter the disability world in hospital and through charities, which I have done since, it's more common than you think. And I had to spend time in rehab for three months or so to learn how to use the chair and how my body functions completely differently. My routine has changed, washing, dressing and how to be independent. That's what I learned at Stanmore Hospital when I went through rehabilitation. And uh, I took about a year off work, actually, before I returned to work. I'm sure everybody who's listening to this is just, uh, just amazed at the speed of that transformation. Your words, that ordinary 29-year-old, and mm. that news from the consultant, and so immediate as well. It's I don't know why I think this would be easier or better, and who am I to say, but... To, to get that news that you're going to be in a wheelchair so soon after that, that moment you talked about of lying in bed and not feeling your legs, mm. no preparation for you to absorb this news. Mm. I mean, now when I talk about it, it's like I'm talking about another person. I mean, it's 13, 14 years since then. And, you know, that person, what I knew then is not what I know now. I'm very fortunate. I have good family I've got a fulfilling career, I've got access to resources, I have the support that I need, so life is good. But at that time, I didn't know anybody with a disability. I had my own prejudices. I was very ignorant about the world of disability, and I had a preconception about what life would be like. To be honest with you, I just couldn't envisage a future. I just thought, it's going to be bleak. All the questions were, well, how can I get back to the Yasmin that I was before? And I feel like I have, and, and then some, because I've actually gained an enormous amount. Friendship groups, the experiences, the career that I have, you know, I've been incredibly fortunate. I've still a lot of frustrations along the way, don't get me wrong, and challenges, and there's a lot of bias out there. But it does feel like I'm talking about a different, I, I look at that event really with fresh eyes because, you know, I know something different now and time has passed as well yeah time that thing yeah and I want to get on obviously to some of the challenges that you have faced with the new Yasmin or the even better version of Yasmin if you like I, I wanted to just to pick up on some of the comments you made there about didn't know anyone who was disabled and did some research on this and 14.1 million disabled people in the UK. I think in your own TED talk, you talk about disabled people making up the largest minority group in the world. If I get more granular, 8% of children in the UK are disabled, 19% of working age adults are disabled, 46% of pension age adults are disabled. You know, this is not a small minority group. But you've talked with me before, and perhaps you could tell the listeners a little bit about your feelings about how communities, how, how society treats disabled people. Mm. Well, firstly, I think there's a misconception about what disability and disabled people, who we are. So one in five of us has a disability. And, you know, if you ask people, and I often do this in my trainings, you know, what are the initial words, images and feelings you have towards disabled people and disability? A lot of it is negative and there's a preconception that it's all about sticks and wheelchairs, something you can physically see. You probably visualise someone in a wheelchair first off. In fact, 97% of disabilities are actually non-visible. 
they're people that we work alongside they're in our organizations you know people with chronic fatigue or bipolar or dyslexia or Crohn's MS you know all these conditions that we can't see but people for whatever reason perhaps aren't coming forward or sharing because such is the stigma and discrimination and prejudice that they may experience or worry about if they tell people. Um, do you know what? I've forgotten the question now, Victoria. This is what happens to me. I go off on a tangent. <laughs> no, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. I mean, I think where it gets to, though, is, you know, what is life like for you mm. as someone who is in a wheelchair? And I want us to focus on some of the language in my work people talk about the fear around saying certain words and getting it wrong and of course when we're fearful of the language that we use we tend to avoid it and that could be over any kind of underrepresented group and I spoke to you before about non-disabled or being wheelchair bound and language around that and I'd love it if you could talk a little bit about the language you hear and what life is like for you yeah okay so the language is is an interesting one now I think language does have an impact and I don't want people to worry about saying the wrong thing I mean I know um I was looking at this earlier and scope say that two-thirds of the British public admit that they feel uncomfortable talking to disabled people because of fear of seeming to be patronizing or saying the wrong thing and this is what causes the awkwardness By the way, disabled people know this. We can sense it. We can spot it a mile off even before you actually say something and approach us because we see the dilemma in your head. Do I push that person? Do I offer to help? We know it already. And remember, I used to be somebody without a disability. So I I know all of this. I would say to people to, to make them more at ease is, you know what? Be prepared to get it wrong. You will never be judged on the mistake that you make, the behavior, the etiquette or non-inclusive language, you'll be judged by your response to the mistake. So if you, for example, say a term that is probably outdated or somebody has said, actually, I prefer if you use this language, don't double down and say, well, that's not what I meant or you took it the wrong way. Have humility. The best thing you can do is say, thank you. I I didn't know that. I know better for next time. And just learn and move on from it because we're all learning in this diversity and inclusion space. I'm a disabled person, I don't always get it right. Disability is so broad, there's certain terms in certain communities, people with autism or other conditions that I may not be up to speed with some of the language, it's always evolving. So I'm open to learning and you've got to have an open mind and listen to people. Yeah, I was gonna say with Yasmin, and I guess that's the thing, it's demonstrating that I'm open. So if I say to you, Yasmin, sorry, can I just ask you which you would prefer? You know, I don't know this. That's then fine. Can, I, I'm showing you some of my positive intent, yeah. but I'm also demonstrating to you that I'm open to learning. I don't know what yeah. I'm doing. Give me this information. Yeah. Totally different, as you say, from, well, that isn't what I intended, and therefore yeah. you let me off the hook for my mistake. Yeah, that's absolutely fine. Ask the person, because there's even debate in the disabled community itself about the term able-bodied and non-disabled or person with disability or disabled people you you'll ask lots of different people and they'll have a different viewpoint on it so be guided by the person you can say what language do you prefer if I get it wrong could you please let me know there's nothing wrong with saying that and just being open to it you know I've got my own views about certain language and somebody who's disabled may not agree with me general rules are use positive language not negative 
So yeah. things like wheelchair bound or confined to a wheelchair or suffering with a disability, these are all ableist terms, but they're so ingrained and insidious in our language that we may not even be conscious that we're saying it. I don't suffer with a disability. I do at times, but I live with my disability. I manage my disability. It's very different. It's not an all consuming thing. I'm a wheelchair user. I'm not bound or confined to my chair. In fact, my chair liberates me. Without my chair, yes. I wouldn't be able to move around at all. So it's interesting how these words are pretty negative. I, I do sort of flinch when I hear them because it's it displays a certain attitude that we may not even be conscious of. Yeah, and it's that triggering, isn't it? Which, mm. let's face it, if if I don't know you well, if I feel this trigger, if I feel slightly threatened by some of that language, just in that sort of short second, actually could dictate what plays out next. And, and I kind of want to move from that language to the sort of behaviours, I guess, that you might see or feel. Let's talk about a typical day, Yasmin, when you leave your house and you travel to a client's office or something like that. Tell me about life then. Yeah. So it's interesting, when I'm in my own home, I don't feel disabled at all because I haven't got silly comments or careless comments coming my way. I can move around with ease. In fact, the social model of disability says that what is disabling are actually the barriers that exist in society, attitudinal, environmental, technology, organisational, all of these things can create disability. So when I leave my house, I will probably get four or five fairly innocuous comments, but it's tiring to deal with them because they've happened now for the past 14 15 years and they're the same things wheelchair users hear all the time have you got a license for that do you need help now in of themselves you might think well you're a bit sensitive what's the problem but it's very wearing there's nothing wrong with asking for help but it my point is it's a very instinctive reaction for somebody without a disability to almost save a disabled person and feel that they need help all the time the irony is rehab taught me to be independent, but as soon as I left, everybody wanted to help me. And yeah. I would say to people, just check your own biases. You know, does that person look like they need help? Are they asking you for help? Just give them a second, just assess. And if you do think after all of that, once you've paused and reflected and just observed without rushing in instinctively, there's nothing I'm saying, you're okay, you know, just casually, if, if after all of that, you think actually they might need help. Now, personally, I will ask for help myself, but not everybody may be comfortable, but just pause because to say no, three, four times a day is pretty exhausting. So most of my encounters are with people who are very, very well intentioned. There's no malice. In fact, they're trying to help me. They're trying to make life easier for them and me in terms of dealing with this discomfort that they're feeling, oh, there's a disabled person, I need to make their life easier. You know, it comes from a good place. But I think that's so important though, Yasmin, because you said it's making potentially your life easier, but how much of this is about making my life easier as a non-disabled mm -hmm. person? I feel better to have yeah. helped you in some kind of benefactor way. And so what you're talking about, because basically we're talking about allyship here now, yeah. is take a beat isn't it take a breath what yeah, yeah. just assess the situation 
a small comment like, okay, question, rather than hands on the back of your wheelchair or let me guide you. And there's a there's a time and there's a, a timing to this and a sort of space to this, isn't it? I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people do rush too quickly to help. And it's that implicit message. I'm not capable. I'm not. I need help all the time. It's very wearing when you feel like that's how you're perceived by the rest of society. And until you live that every single day, it's really hard to articulate how that feels because that isn't just the one, there's so many different barriers, you know, a lack of access into a restaurants or lifts that break down. And that's just one thing, the etiquette and the behavior and language. There's so many things that come at you that sometimes I don't blame people for not leaving the house at all at times, because if you're not in the mood for it, it, it can be very frustrating and exhausting. So yeah, you need quite a lot of resilience to, to get on with the day sometimes. Yeah, but so interesting that you say you, you don't need it in your own home. You feel <laughs> liberated there and that chair, and the chair gives you that. Yeah. So if we could ask our listeners one, two things that they could do tomorrow to help break down bias yeah what would they be so this is about allyship as well it isn't just about grand gestures and declarations it's about our everyday behaviors so I would say to break down bias you can be a confidant so listening the power of listening is immense listening to people's experiences and also this term inspirational porn I know we've had a discussion about this before yeah tell me or tell the listeners about What's wrong? Because I sent you an email. Let's be clear. I sent you an email when I first asked you to do this. And I said, I thought your story would be inspirational. Mm. What did I I do wrong there? So you didn't do anything wrong, firstly, because it's just a very overused term for a disabled person. Now, I hope in some ways, maybe I do inspire people in terms of taking action my story may make them take action to do something positive. But most of the time, that word is overused for a disabled person doing a very ordinary thing, going to the shops, buying a pint of milk. You're so inspirational, taking the train. This has been said to me before. There's a soft bigotry of low expectation. The other question I have is, what does it inspire you to do? Most disabled people are not interested in being other people's inspiration. We just want you to make things accessible and equal to us. We want to get into restaurants. We want spaces where we can thrive at work. Fix the oppression and sort out the equality and seek to remove barriers for us. At work, if you've got someone with a disability, instead of saying, you know, you're inspirational, it's, okay, what can we do to make you be the best that you can be at work? What's getting in the way? What's the barrier? Do you have to come into work a bit later? Do you have to leave earlier? How can you work best? How can you manage your disability? That's what we're really interested in. We just want equal access and participation in certain spaces and in workplaces. We're not interested in making people feel better. They're, you know, I sent you that TED talk, didn't I? Stella Young, sadly, is not with us anymore. She passed away. She's a wheelchair user and brilliant TED talk about inspirational porn. And she says it far better than I, but I encourage listeners to tune into that because it explains it really well. Yeah, she ends that talk, doesn't she, by saying disability doesn't make you exceptional, but questioning what you think you know about it does. Yeah, it's really interesting, really powerful. So just to finish off, let's go with those things. I think if there's a couple of things people can take away with them, one is the listening, Mm. two is the language. 
Yeah. Three is how can I help? And we talked a little bit, you were saying about workplaces. What else would you say that non-disabled people yeah. can do? Realize this is not a minority issue. One okay. in five of us. Disability is a lot broader than you think. It's not just sticks and wheelchairs. As you said, I'm vice chair of lawyers with disabilities division at the Law Society. And uh, check out the legally disabled research where we looked at the career experiences of disabled lawyers in the profession. It's not pretty reading. We knew this all, but we've got the research now to back it up. And there's brilliant recommendations there. And, and the Law Society has a great website as well, where we've looked at reasonable adjustments, guidance and quick wins as well for small and large organisations. Is just to be open to learning. As I said, in this space, there's a lot of learning and just be open and not judgmental as well. There's all sorts of things that people are going through. We may not see it, but it's being open to that. Lovely. Thank you so much for your time today, Yasmin. Really appreciate you talking with us today and just have a lovely day. Thank you. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Thanks very much.